Hello everybody and welcome to All My Movies. We are continuing Bad Movie Month. Last week we talked about Transformers Age of Extinction. This week we are talking about a different kind of bad movie, what I consider to be a deliciously bad movie. The 2017 Gerard Butler action film Geostorm. It is quite something. We're going to go over the film, its rocky road to getting into theaters, and the strange ways that it may have affected how movies are distributed now. There's a lot to get into, but before I do, I want to thank you for listening. If you're watching us on the Schmodown Entertainment Network, please head over to Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to get your audio podcasts, and subscribe to us there, too. We love all of our viewers and all of our listeners, but a subscription on the audio side really does help the show out a lot. And if you're listening to us and you want to see the video going along with the show, you can catch us over on the Schmodown Entertainment Network on YouTube. Geostorm is a movie about a complex network of interconnected weather satellites that are hijacked and programmed to destroy the world by creating one giant global storm in order to restore the United States to dominance and wipe out our enemies. And only Gerard Butler can stand in the way. Yes, that movie again. Now this may not surprise you, but the original idea for Geostorm came from the mind of a child. And that child is director and co-writer Dean Devlin's daughter. When my eldest daughter was six, I was explaining climate change. And she said, why can't we just build a machine that fixes that? And that sparked all these ideas. This was the first time for writer Dean Devlin to take the director's chair. Although he was no stranger to big screen spectacle, having already written the screenplays for Universal Soldier, Stargate, Independence Day, and 1998's Godzilla. However, Devlin did opt to bring in veteran TV producer and writer Paul Guyot to beef up the human relationships in the film. The production rights for Geostorm were picked up by Skydance Media, which was founded in the mid-2000s by David Ellison, who's the son of the billionaire head of Oracle, Larry Ellison. Skydance's big aspiration was to become a full-fledged production company. They had mainly co-financed films up to this point. The first film that Skydance co-financed was the aerial war film Flyboys, starring James Franco and co-starring Skydance founder David Ellison. I wonder how we got that part. By the time Skydance picked up the rights to produce Geostorm in 2013, it was actually assembling quite a nice resume for itself. It had helped to finance a Best Picture nominee in the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit. They had also been co-financiers and producers on Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Star Trek Into Darkness, and World War Z, which were all box office hits. And Geostorm was greenlit with a very healthy budget north of $80 million. Of course, after the green light, the next major thing is to get a cast together. And in the lead role, the character of Jake Lawson, who designs the space satellite system and also is the former commander of the International Space Station, they chose Gerard Butler. Jim Sturgis was cast as Max, Jake Lawson's younger brother, who ultimately supplants him and removes him from command. Abby Cornish was cast as Max's fiance slash Secret Service agent Sarah, with Andy Garcia joining the cast as the president, and Ed Harris joining as Secretary of Defense Deckham. Future Deadpool 2 star Zazie Beetz was cast in a critical supporting role as a hacker, and an international cast was added for the astronauts aboard the space station, including Alexandra Maria Lara, Robert Sheehan, and Eugenio Derbez. Geostorm began filming in late 2014 and wrapped up its shooting in early 2015, but after extensive post-production and some screenings that did not go well late in 2015, the movie's release date was pushed, 
and the cast was reassembled for very costly reshoots in late 2016. This included having a new producer on board with Jerry Bruckheimer, a new writer who was brought in to do completely new scenes, and with a new director at the helm because Dean Devlin could not return to the director's chair because of other obligations. The reshoots reportedly added about $15 million to the movie's budget, edging it past the $100 million mark, and the movie, which had originally been scheduled to come out in March of 2016, was eventually pushed in the release calendar all the way back to October 2017. But by the time Geostorm finally hit theaters, much had changed both in the film business, the fortunes of its production company, and the fortunes of its star. And we'll look at all of that later. But first, let's carve up the cinematic turkey. We open the movie by flashing forward to the faraway year of 2019. In the year of 2019, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, unleashed a wave of destruction upon our planet. You know things are pretty bad in real life when the apocalyptic future that this movie is predicting is two years away. In response to the escalating climate crisis, all the nations of the Earth have banded together to build a super network of weather-controlling satellites that can diffuse any weather-related crisis on any continent on Earth. And even though international cooperation is a big theme of the movie, Geostorm still can't help but take sides just a little bit. Scientists from 17 countries, led by the US and China, work tirelessly. The satellite network is called Dutch Boy because it has its finger in the dam of the overwhelming flood of climate change. And it was designed by a man named Jake Lawson, who also designed and built the superstructure command for the entire system that's located on the International Space Station. And Jake Lawson, this engineer, is so well known by everybody in the world that random people on the street stop him to thank him. Everybody down here owes you, Jake Lawson. If you need anything, you just ask. As the movie starts, Lawson is being hauled in front of a Senate committee who's very angry that control of the weather satellites is going to move away from the United States to an international committee ugh, in three short years. May the record reflect that he was nearly one hour late. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh I literally had to fly in from outer space. And as you only see in movies like this, Jake Lawson is really in trouble for being too good at his job and too compassionate after bringing the system online early in order to save lives. There were a series of storms building in Southeast Asia and the North Atlantic that would have killed tens of thousands of people. Dutch Boy was ready. We went green. It works. You're welcome. Jake's overcompetence and refusal to play by Richard Schiff's rules ends up with him being removed as the head of Dutch Boy and his younger brother Max being installed as the new head. And Max's first act is to fire Jake. I'm sorry, Jake. You're fired. Then we jump ahead three years, where a village in the middle of Afghanistan has been flash frozen in an apparent malfunction from one of the satellites in Dutch Boy's network. And President Andy Garcia wants answers. But he wants answers from an American, dammit. None of this international cooperation BS. We are going to handle this problem and its solution in-house. And we are going to send up one man, one of our own. So let's see, an American who knows Dutch Boy better than anyone, has a personal connection of some sort to Max. Oh man, I, I wonder who it could be. Look, I know you're not gonna like it, but as I see it, there's only one person to go after for this. 
your brother Jake. Ed Harris is right, and it's not a moment too soon because strange things are afoot on the International Space Station. We see a scientist grab some kind of data off of a satellite that's being brought in for repair, but no sooner can he put that stuff in his locker than he's vented out into space, and the camera lingers on a very suspicious-looking French astronaut, which means he is definitely the bad guy. I mean, look how suspicious he looks. There's no way he's not the bad guy, right? Then we have a double cliche sequence. Max visits Jake to bring him out of retirement, even though Jake is perfectly happy drinking beers and building electric motors for the elderly. But we have to have that we need you scene in a movie like this. You build things, right? And there was something wrong with the thing that you built and people are dying. And how the hell can you stand there and say no? And as a bonus, we get the I'm going into a dangerous situation, but I promise I'll be back scene between Jake and his daughter, Hannah. But I'm coming back. I promise. I promise. So Jake is headed back up to the International Space Station, but it's pretty obvious that no one at this agency whose sole job is about dealing with the consequences of climate change has actually learned anything about climate change because they send Jake back into space on his own personal space shuttle, a full-size shuttle, big fuel tanks blasting into the sky, carbon footprint my ass. No wonder we're in such big trouble. Jake arrives at the ISS and meets Chief Scientist Uda in another film cliche. It's that scene where somebody's talking trash about somebody, but the person that they're talking to is actually the person that they're talking trash about, but they don't know it's the person they're talking trash about. You know that scene. Roll the clip. Maybe I need to speak to your Chief Scientist about the fine art of giving a shit. I'm the Chief Scientist. I've been promoted a year ago. Uh, congratulations. It's a good thing Jake's up there too because mysterious things are still happening. Hong Kong is hit with a heat blast so intense that the underground gas mains start to rupture, which causes havoc all around the city. And this coincides with the head of the Dutch boy Hong Kong, Operation Zhang, finding something very mysterious about the satellite network, which he could easily tell us but doesn't. Max is hanging out with his fiance, who is in the Secret Service and is actually on the president's detail, but they can't tell anybody about their relationship and they can't get married because it's against the rules. Let's do it, let's get married. We can't. It's against the rules. Whose rules? And what those rules are, nobody ever really says. I think maybe she's just putting off the wedding because she doesn't like him that much. That's just me, though. None of that really matters, though, because Jane calls Max to explain the premise of the movie. If Dutch Boy has a catastrophic failure, it can create something far worse than the very thing we're trying to prevent. What we call a geostorm. Simultaneous catastrophic weather events triggered all over the globe. Once they pass the minimum threshold, the storms will start causing new storms, like a chain reaction until they merge together. To prevent this geostorm, Max visits his hacker friend Dana, who's played by Zazie Beetz, and she confirms that somebody's been hacking into the satellites on the space station, but only somebody actually on the station can confirm. But these two brothers have some real trust issues. I guess I got no choice but to count on you. But if you ever authorize anything without my approval, then we are on the next show home. Jake is able to find his smoking gun on a corrupted hard drive that's caught on the outside structure of the space station. It was vented out into space along with that scientist we saw earlier. After a gravity-type spacewalk featuring a sabotaged spacesuit that almost kills him, Jake is able to recover the hard drive. Jang, who could have at any time told Max exactly what he discovered, instead insists he can only tell him in person in Washington, D.C. I figured it all out. 
The place across the square where we used to have lunch. And they're just feet from each other when Jang, of course, is pushed into traffic and hit by a car. And before he dies, he can only utter a couple of mysterious words. Suits. Meanwhile, in space, the hard drive that Jake was able to recover proves that the scientist being vented out was no accident. He was killed to cover up whatever data he was able to pull off of that satellite. But the user logs have been deleted. Well, I guess that's the end of the mystery. Except, of course, there's always a double secret backup that nobody knows about. When we built Dutch Boy, we put in a, a locked-off library, something that would track and archive everything. Our saboteurs login info is going to be in there. Now, of course, this does beg the question that if there was always an archived secret backup that logged the activities of everybody who's done everything on the space station, why didn't Jake just check that archive first? Because then he wouldn't have had to go out and get the hard drive and risk his life. He could have just gone and checked the keystrokes or whatever else he has to do, but it doesn't matter because we know who it is. It was the mysterious French guy anyway. Realizing that no one can be trusted, Jake sends a coded message to his brother, first by implying subtly that he's about to send a coded message. Hey, Max, we don't walk out on each other. That's the unspoken code between brothers. Then hoping that Max is able to understand that another line that he says will refer to his cell phone being the cipher to this secret code. You remember that day Dad took us fishing? Yeah, he dropped his cell phone in Key Biscayne. He dropped his cell phone in Key Biscayne? His cell phone number is the key. And finally telling a long rambling story about phishing using words that using the cell phone cipher can then be remixed into the actual message that he wants to tell Jake, even though that would require complex counting of the words you're saying at a story that he's pretty much making up as he goes. Proof of sabotage at the highest level of government. Trust no one. Much like last week, I would like to point out that screenplays don't just arrive fully formed, they are actually written and developed, and someone somewhere decided that this was the most efficient way for Jake to get a message to his brother that something was going on in the government. You know, it's really surprising that this movie didn't do too well. Max decides that the mysterious Zeus could perhaps refer to a Project Zeus file that could be on the White House server. So he asks Zazzy Beats to look it up, but the file's restricted. Luckily, he knows somebody who works in the White House, and he's able to persuade his fiancée to use her White House access codes to almost commit treason. You're soliciting a Secret Service agent to break into the White House server and illegally obtain files. And you thought I would say yes. Uh, yeah, I still think you're gonna say yes. Why? Meanwhile, in space, the French guy, who we all know is definitely the bad guy, isn't actually the bad guy. Well, now I don't know what's going on. Whatever you're looking for, it is not in this locker. I was here when Mahmoud came in. He put his stuff in an empty one. It turns out that the reason he looked so suspicious was that he was plotting to preserve critical evidence that proves that a virus has been planted in the Dutch Boy satellite network. And Max, who's able to run Chang's simulations through Project Zeus, realizes that these satellites will eventually cause, you guessed it, a geostorm. And unlike anything we've ever seen. So now we have someone working at the highest levels of government that has sabotaged the Earth's precious weather-controlling satellites to become a weapon. And Jake is not happy about the perversion of his life's work. Now they said it was impossible, but we pulled it off and it worked. So what do people do with it? Turn it into a gun. But of course, he has a plan. We can shut down Dutch Boy temporarily. 
The reboot will flush out the system, kill the virus, and revert back to the failsafe OS. Now this is where we start to veer into serious national treasure territory, because as it turns out, there's only one person who has the authorization to shut down the Dutch Boy Network. You need the kill codes. And the only one who has those is the president. But Jake has a theory. He thinks the president might be the one behind what's going on. Who else has the resources to pull this off? Murder, cover-up, and a virus that can only be stopped with the codes in his pocket. You know, I wish I could say that's the craziest presidential conspiracy theory I've heard lately, but honestly, uh, not even in the top five. We will continue breaking down this geo storm, but first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Monk Pack. Monk Pack keto nut and seed bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three net grams of carbs, and they're only 150 calories. If you're doing the keto lifestyle or if you just want to cut back on sugar and carbs, these Monk Pack bars are really great. You know, I have this thing when I'm trying to do a diet or when I'm trying to eat better, I think that if it's small, then it's good for me. This is what Monk Pack is great for because it's got that sweet taste, but without all the bad effects. I don't have to worry about looking at the calorie count on one of those bars is this one more than that bar with monk pack i know what i'm getting it's gonna be a great tasting snack i know what the calories are and it's gonna fit into the changes i want to make in my lifestyle and they come in a lot of different flavors like sea salt dark chocolate pecan almond and peanut butter dark chocolate and the peanut butter dark chocolate one is the one that's my favorite so far because you get that balance i really love the sweetness of the peanut butter and you also get the sweetness of the chocolate but they have that little bitterness that you get with a dark chocolate i love the combination along with the crunch of the seeds and the nuts it really is a great mixture of what i love and it's a great snack for me to just grab any time during my day you know i'm up here i'm doing podcasts i'm hosting i'm doing charts i'm doing all kinds of things. I can run downstairs. I can grab a Monk Pack keto nut and seed bar. I can come right back up. It takes me 30 seconds and it's filling. I don't have to stop for a meal 20 minutes later because this was a great snack. And the great news is you don't even have to run to the grocery store to grab Monk Pack because they will deliver it right to your door. Try it for yourself and you'll see. And we have a very special deal for our listeners you can get 20% off of your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code MOVIES at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it is backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M U N K P A C K.com and select any product. Then enter the code MOVIES at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And I like to thank them for sponsoring our show. We are 90 minutes away from a global storm we won't recover from. And I need the president's kill cut. <laughs> Come again. To stop this geostorm, Max travels with his fiancée, Secret Service Sarah, to Orlando, Florida, where the president is delivering a speech at the Democratic National Convention. There, they plan to steal the kill codes and disable the Dutch Boy satellites. Meanwhile, the weather is getting nuts. The satellite over Tokyo hits the city with a massive killer hailstorm. And in Rio de Janeiro, it gets so cold that the ocean freezes, beachgoers are frozen in their tracks, planes fall out of the sky. The countdown to Geostorm is quite literally on. 
Max is desperate to get those presidential kill codes. It's a race against time. So he confides in Secretary of Defense Ed Harris, a major actor who's had suspiciously little to do in this movie. But Ed Harris confirms that the president doesn't have the kill codes. The president is the kill codes. Biometrics, 10 fingerprints, two retina scans. You know, you'd think the head of the whole project would know that, but uh, I digress. Meanwhile, in space, the International Space Station has been programmed to self-destruct, and Jake is able to root out the space traitor. It turns out that it's this British guy who's also had suspiciously little to do for the rest of the movie. Gerard Butler does his Gerard Butler thing, and the traitor gets blown out of the window after he punctured it by shooting the gun that he was wielding on the International Space Station. This guy had it coming in so many ways. But the hits keep on rolling. Remember how Ed Harris had nothing to do for the entire movie? Well, it turns out that we get a second dose of the bad guy who we thought was the bad guy isn't really the bad guy because guess what? The president's not the bad guy. It's Secretary of State Ed Harris. It's not the president, all right? It's Deckham. Deckham? How do you know? Because he just tried to kill me. And this isn't just weather related, this is a full-blown power grab, because the president isn't the only official in the house at the DNC, the vice president's there too. Oh, and he brought some friends. That's why I'm here tonight with the Speaker of the House, the Senate pro tempore, President Obama's whole cabinet. That's right. Secretary of Defense Ed Harris's plan is to wipe out the entire presidential line of succession in one fell swoop by causing a freak lightning storm over Orlando, ensuring that he is the only survivor, thus becoming President of the United States himself. It's so simple that it writes itself. Luckily, Max and Secret Service Sarah are there to save the President by kidnapping the President. I'm sorry, Mr. President. You need to come with me. Meanwhile, the weather continues to go nuts. Tornadoes rip through Mumbai, and a huge heat cannon blasts Moscow, causing the city to burst into flames. Up in space, the self-destructing International Space Station is being evacuated, but wouldn't you know it, somebody has to stay behind and reset the system after the president provides the kill codes. And guess who it is? When my brother gets those kill codes, someone has to be here to execute the program. You know the reboot has to be done manually. In Orlando, a huge freak lightning storm causes the arena that was holding the Democratic National Convention to blow up somehow. And it's very possible that the president's cabinet, the congressional leadership, and the vice president have just been killed, but the president has escaped. Ed Harris's plan and his coup both fail. How? Because Murica. How in hell did you? How? Because I'm the goddamn president of the United States of America. And it turns out that Deckham didn't just want to be president of the United States, he also wanted to turn back the clock and make the USA a number one. Tomorrow the sun will rise, all our enemies will be gone. I'm turning the clock back to 1945 when America was a shining city on a hill, not just a bank disguised as a country. You know, I think this is a classic case of overplanning. If Ed Harris had wanted to either become president or turn the clock back to 1945, I think he might have succeeded at one or the other, but instead, he was too ambitious. He was like Icarus. He flew too close to the giant satellite heat cannon. But there's no time to celebrate because the countdown to that geostorm is still ticking, and we gotta deactivate those satellites. As Dubai is drowned with a massive tidal wave, the president provides the kill codes, but there's always time for a tearful long-distance goodbye. The kill codes don't stop the self-destruct, do they? No. Only the geostorm. The station self-destruct can't be reversed. 
as Jake informs his younger brother that he won't be returning from space. I was supposed to look after you. But you looked after me. The kill codes are entered, the satellites are reset, and the geostorm is averted by mere seconds. Thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are definitely still dead, but hey, no geostorm, right? And then Gerard Butler dies of fiery death aboard the International Space Station. Of course not, I'm just kidding. This movie's way too dumb for that. What do you think, this is some kind of highfalutin cinema like Armageddon? Of course Gerard Butler doesn't die. He and Uta climb into the last available satellite and jettison themselves off into space using their thrusters to signal for help until they're picked up by their fellow astronauts. And Jake chooses a moment to provide what I think is a perfectly timed predator reference. Hernandez, you son of a bitch. Dang the Mexican. Once back on Earth, Jake briefly apologized for accusing the President of the United States for wantonly bringing about the end of human civilization. Well done, well done, both of you. Sorry I doubted you, Mr. President. Then Max and Jake reunite. All is good with the world, and Jake's daughter's voiceover returns to teach us all a good life lesson. As long as we remember that we share one future, we will survive. The end. Listen, Geostorm is not a good movie. But that's one of the reasons I wanted to do Bad Movie Month, because I think it is a completely different kind of bad movie than Transformers Age of Extinction. It's a bad movie with a real beating heart at the middle of it. It's weighed down by convenience and cliche and contrivance, all the big C's that you don't want in any movie, but its heart is in the right place. And Dean Devlin has definitely written movies that you could say the same thing about that have been successes. Independence Day is one of them. But when it comes down to it, Geostorm is no Independence Day, either on its own terms or at the box office. It took about three years from the time the movie was greenlit for it to hit theaters. And in those three years, a lot changed. For production company Skydance, its hot hand had cooled significantly. Terminator Genesis, which was a high-profile reboot of the Terminator franchise that was supposed to launch multiple sequels, failed to deliver and lost a lot of money despite performing well internationally. Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit also failed to reignite that franchise. Tom Cruise was unable to launch a new action franchise with Jack Reacher and Jack Reacher Never Go Back, neither of which were huge box office successes. The Star Trek franchise, which Skydance had helped to co-finance and co-produce, ran out of gas with Star Trek Beyond. And two 2017 films that Skydance was heavily involved in, Life and Baywatch, both failed to meet expectations. The 100 plus million dollars that had gone into Geostorm was looking less and less like a sound financial investment. And things weren't going great for Gerard Butler either. As a matter of fact, just the previous year in 2016, he had suffered a very high profile embarrassment as one of the big faces behind the even bigger flop, Gods of Egypt, which had a production budget of over $140 million. All of these factors, combined with a general stink around the film due to its multiple delays and extensive reshoots, and the fact that it arrived on the heels of several actual global disasters painted a very pessimistic box office picture for Geostorm in October of 2017. The film was released on October 20th and placed second in its opening weekend behind Tyler Perry's Boo 2, A Medea Halloween. It ultimately made less than $35 million domestically and less than $225 million worldwide. And even though the international business was much more robust than the domestic box office, 
Deadline reports that the film was still expected to lose around $70 million due to its extensively high budget. And the failure of this movie is one of those butterfly effect things because it may have led in some small part to the marketplace that we're seeing now where studios are shopping their theatrical releases to different streaming services because after the failure of Geostorm, David Ellison, the founder of Skydance, got very skittish about the company's financial losses and lost a lot of faith in a movie that had been scheduled for 2018, an ambitious sci-fi film from director Alex Garland called Annihilation, starring Natalie Portman. Ellison wanted the movie retooled to be more accessible to a mainstream audience, but director Garland and producer Scott Rudin opted to keep the movie how it was. So in order to stem potential losses, Skydance sold the streaming rights to Annihilation to Netflix in every single market except for the United States and China. And even in North America, they cut the number of screens and the marketing budget for the film, which resulted in a disappointing box office figure. And Alex Garland was not happy about this. He felt like he'd been misled and was very upset that a movie that he felt should be seen on the big screen was sold to streaming services in so many international markets. So let's see, we have a skittish production company, we have a big budget movie, we have a decision to sell that movie to a streaming service after the fact, we have an upset director. This situation is eerily similar to what Warner Media has faced just the last few months from filmmakers like Denis Villeneuve and Christopher Nolan after its decision to shift its entire 2021 slate away from theaters and onto HBO Max with a simultaneous release in both different places. Annihilation and a Paramount film called The Cloverfield Paradox were actually two of the first early experiments with taking a movie that was supposed to come out in theaters and selling it to a streaming service in order to bolster profits and help to make sure that you make money on a film. So in a way, Geostorm may have helped to usher in the biggest revolution in how movies are packaged and sold since the introduction of the VCR. It's a move that has taken the entire entertainment world by storm. If only we had a word for some kind of storm that engulfs a whole world. Maybe somebody will come up with it someday. Before we wrap up, as always, I like to look at the physical disc that I have for every movie that I talk about here on the show. This was a disc that I bought for Mara because we like to watch bad movies together. We saw Geostorm, I think maybe at the drive-in before that was the only theater that was available to us. And so this was almost kind of like a half gag, half real holiday gift to Mara. This was the first time that I've actually revisited Geostorm since we saw it in the theater. And I think this is gonna be one of those movies that I revisit because it's not offensive to me. I don't find it unpleasant to watch, but it is very, very bad. The special features on the disc don't add a whole lot of insight. There's one about the genesis and origin of the film that includes this tidbit from Dean Devlin that probably won't surprise you if you've seen the movie. I believe strongly in writing the first draft very, very quickly because you're going to spend a long time polishing and rewriting and changing it. There's also one that looks at the various international settings of the film. And there's a featurette about the special effects of the movie, where even the visual effects artists admit that the events in this film stretch the limits of credibility. We have the domino effect of buildings falling in Hong Kong, which is so, like, physics not real. But most of all, we at least get, for the record, this great clip of Gerard Butler explaining exactly what a geostorm is. A geostorm is a storm of planetary proportions. Many storms combine and combine in such a way that it becomes one massive storm that dominates the planet. Thank you, Mr. Butler. Much like that random guy thanking Jake Lawson on the street, I appreciate your service. 
Man, I need to shake your hand. Oh, okay. And that wraps it up for Geostorm. Join us next week when we look at a different kind of bad movie. This is one of the first movies that tapped into the viral potential of the internet that was self-aware of how bad it was, leaned into it, and actually built a reputation on being bad before it even came out. I am, of course, talking about the high-flying Samuel L. Jackson action romp, Snakes on a Plane. There's so much interesting stuff to break down about this movie. Can you manufacture a bad movie? Can you be self-aware? It was a proto-Sharknado, and I look forward to talking about that film, revisiting it, telling you the story behind it, sharing the extra stuff that we get on the discs, all of that stuff. Thank you so much for watching this episode on Geostorm. As I mentioned before, if you're watching us on the Schmodown Entertainment Network, I'd love it if you headed over to Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Apple, wherever you like to get your podcasts and subscribe to us there. And if you're listening to us and you want to see the video, watch us over on Schmodown Entertainment Network. I'll be back next week to talk about snakes on a plane, but until then, it's time to go back on the show. Thanks for watching.